0: Welcome to the Rush Hour podcast. Sit back and relax or hop on the treadmill for the next hour as we talk Saskatchewan Rush Lacrosse. Every month, Jake Elliott will talk with Saskatchewan players, coaches, executive and team personnel about all things Rush Lacrosse. And now, the host of the Rush Hour podcast, Jake Elliott.
1: What's going on, Rush Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Rush Hour Podcast presented by Merlin Ford Lincoln, your premier choice for Ford Lincoln in Saskatoon. Jake Elliott with you. One half of the voice voices. One half of the voices of the Saskatchewan Rush. The other is back in Saskatoon as we speak. It's Ryan Flaherty back on the podcast. Flats, let's get you in right off the top here. Welcome back to, to Rush Hour. Thanks for doing this again.
0: Always a pleasure, my friend. This is uh, going to be a good one. We've got lots of good things to talk about this week.
1: Yeah. We a month, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, I mean, I'd love to, to make it a weekly thing. Maybe we'll talk to the boss about that, see if we can get that happening. But uh, we have a couple of great guests on the podcast this week. Or <laughs> you got me going. This month. <laughs> Here for the month of February. Still another game to go in the month of February. It comes on Leap Day, the 29th. We're going to talk all about that as well. But we got the head coach of the Saskatchewan Rush, Mr. Derek Keenan. He'll join us in about 20 minutes from now. And then the the kind of the theme, the flavor here for, for Season 2 on Rush Hour Flats has been getting to know some guys that maybe Rush Nation aren't all that familiar with away from from the floor everybody knows who number 94 is when he's out there running and gunning or rolling down the turf as I like to say but we're going to talk to Matthew Hossick here today and and I'm looking forward to this conversation because Matt's a pretty soft-spoken guy and I don't think a whole lot of people really know what makes this guy tick and and hopefully we can get that out of him here today we're
0: gonna pop the hood on the tractor and see how the engine's running. yeah hundred percent yeah <laughs> looking forward to it. I know chatting with Matt, you're right he's a little uh, he, he's not the loudest guy, but he's a very thoughtful guy so mm. I think he'll be uh, have some good things to say today. I'm looking
1: forward to that chat. and of course.
0: Jammer. Always a yeah. great we'll we'll have to put a time limit on well, that. Well, I was gonna we say could go all gonna
1: day say, on that yeah. one. I was gonna say we could carry the, the full hour just, just with just with Jammer, but uh we'll get Matty Hossick in there as well and uh, we should probably start with a bit of a recap what happened or what has happened so far here in the month of February, and it's been a good one here for Saskatchewan so far. Not something we could have really said back in January so much, but The boys have kind of found their legs here over the last few games. They get that rematch date with the Colorado Mammoth. As you recall back in January, a 12-6 beatdown from the Woolies in Sastell. And the rush had to wait for about three weeks for a little redemption here, but they do get it, and they get the season series over Colorado with what was more of a, a typical mammoth rush game here ryan and 9-7 the final and maybe the best goaltending performance i've ever seen not from just one goaltender but both these guys were absolutely spectacular
0: I haven't seen a goaltending duel better than that in the nll in my time covering the league that was fun to watch. It was fun for us to call. Like, I, you know, we were getting so wrapped up in it. Save after save, they were going back and forth. Dylan Ward, Evan Kirk, Wardo made some of the biggest highlight reel stops, but man, Evan Kirk, he was tremendous as well. And that was sort of the backdrop for what was, you mentioned it a bit of redemption for the rush. I was going to say revenge is a dish best served hot because it was their very next game, but they had to wait three weeks, so maybe yeah. lukewarm. Uh, but, you know, they got that practice in the weeks before in Toronto. Uh, they were raving about that practice. It's not a, an intensity level of practice you often get during the season, but because of the double bye week, they went hard, and you could see it when they came out to play the next weekend. And uh, Dylan Ward made him work for it, but they finally... You know we're able to break down that mammoth tee just a little bit in the fourth quarter, get four goals past them to salt away that nine seven win. But uh, the goaltending definitely stole the show in that contest. I would have been happy for another sixty minutes of that. That was tons of fun.
1: Yeah. Well, we may not get another sixty minutes of that. At least not until playoff time, because those two teams are now done in the regular season. And and listen, I'm 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 kind of happy that Colorado is in the rearview mirror for whatever reason those guys always play the rush tough. And and I think that was a real important mental hurdle. And you, you talked about it, the, the bye week. And, and I kind of came off that Colorado game going like, they're not going to just sit around and stand pat here and and, and be okay with this. And I thought maybe some changes were going to come, but that's why I'm up in the booth and they're down there on the turf because it wasn't, it wasn't a roster switch, but it was a mindset switch. And, I think Derek Keenan said, and we'll talk to him about it, but I think for the first time since kind of getting here to Saskatoon that he was like, these guys need a wake-up call. They're not working hard enough, and that's not something he's really had to worry about up until this point. But he, he seemingly got their attention back there in Toronto over the, the couple of bye weeks.
0: You're absolutely right. The I think, you know, for anyone, it doesn't matter how good you are, how many things you've won – there can be a little complacency, especially when you've had as much success as the rush of that. Granted last season, obviously didn't. was their, their, their earliest playoff exit since they came to Saskatoon, but still with the roster they have, I think maybe there was a few too many guys that were thinking, well, we've, we've got this, you know, it'll, it'll come. And, you know, without maybe putting in the, the, the level of, of effort that is required. And, I thought, and we were going to talk about the Philly game in a moment, but there was a comment that Derek Keenan made during that broadcast, saying talking about how just the effort level and they were, they they rediscovered their their kind of will and and how to go to the middle offensively because that was really the issue. Defense was playing pretty darn well throughout the first few games, but it was that offense that just needed to up the. The effort, a little bit in the will, and they certainly seemed to have that. Even though they only scored nine goals against Colorado, yeah,
1: fifty-five shots or whatever. It yeah, yeah,
0: it was it was a really good offensive game. They just ran into one of the best in the world in in between the pipes.
1: Yeah, but and they still I th- got enough goals, and it set the
0: stage for what was to come. I
1: yeah, think. I was just about to say, it was kind of a a, a bit of a, a prelude to to what was about to happen, and and. I think they knew that, right? Like they they look at the game tape and go, like we just we just pelted Dylan Ward with fifty four shots, and they didn't they only got nine. But I think they're really happy with the way that they executed on offense. Speaking of offense, they go from. <laughs> Saskatoon, uh, 9-7 over the Mammoth, and then they make the long trip to the Maritimes and their first time into Halifax to take on the Thunderbirds who have been absolutely rolling and dominating at home. And And how about Halifax and the way they've embraced that team in, in that city? It's been unbelievable, kind of very similar to, to what we've seen in, in Saskatchewan. But this game... I like as as good of a goaltending duel as it was between Kirk and Ward the previous week. This, I think this was the, this has been the game of the year in the National Cross League as a whole so far. Saskatchewan jumps out to a big lead at seven three at halftime. I don't even know if it should have been that close at halftime. They were up, what was it, like 12 to 13 to 6? 12 six. to 3. Yeah, 12 to 12 3. 12 to 3. Uh, so there you go, nine nine goal lead. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, this, you know, time to stick it on cruise control and steer this one home. And maybe they, they took their foot off the pedal a little bit too early and give Halifax a lot of credit here. But they make a goaltending change, and all of a sudden, Halifax wakes up and they go off in the second half, and in the fourth quarter in particular, outscoring Saskatchewan 8-2. This thing goes to overtime. Two goals called back in overtime. This this one was about as wild as it gets, but uh, overtime victory, 16-15, and it comes courtesy of one Mike the Hammer Messenger, Ryan Flaherty, on a beautiful crease dive set up from the captain, Corbiel, That one counts, and the Rush 16-15 in overtime. What a game.
0: You know, I think the Rush were really generous because they just helped the Halifax Thunderbirds sell a whole ton of tickets (laughs) for their next game. The attendance was up almost 1,000 for the fall this past weekend for Halifax's last game, and I have to think a lot of that had to do with the absolute thrill monster that we got to see between the rush and the Thunderbirds, Uh, like you touched on some of the the highlights. There were so many things that happened in this game moments. uh, You know, the 12 three run in 18 minutes, 12 three run in 18 minutes by the T-Birds to to tie that game up. Uh, We saw former rush practice goalie Pete Dubinsky get into his first ever NLL game and almost, almost get the win. Uh, Mark Matthews scored an oh unreal goal. Yeah. His only goal of the game, and it was the prettiest goal of the 31, although Mike Messenger's winner is right up there as well. And I'm not going to sleep on that one. Yeah. You touched on it, The two disallowed or overturned goals. <laughs> Our guy Pete Dalladay had two win calls in his pocket in overtime, and yeah. he pulls them both out, and he has to go back to the well for a third one. <laughs> Just Insanity. I think you're right. The Rush tipped it it off the gas a little bit, but Cody Jamison and Austin Shanks just basically said, All right, yeah. let's do this. Yeah. I mean, you have a Stephen Keogh had one assist in the game, <laughs> and Halifax still scores 15. So there was definitely some stuff that the Rush want to clean up. I mean, the amount of goals they gave up a man down, not just on the penalty kill, but three with the goalie pulled to tie the game late. That's obviously a concern for them as the season goes on. But I mean, from a pure entertainment perspective, <laughs> you can't talk what we saw in Halifax.
1: No, and and they get the victory, and, and that's really the bottom line there. Like I, I think they'll they'll be happy with the fact they got 16. I think they'll be happy with the fact that they weathered the storm and found a way to win that game. I don't think they'll be happy with, with giving up eight in the fourth quarter and letting the team come back on them like that, but... Sometimes you I mean if you can get a victory like that and then be able to learn from that experience as well that's only going to serve you serve you better moving forward so i think some lessons learned there they get the victory they get 16 the offense was clicking transition was going so some good signs there, and and just a spectacular game. If you have not seen that game, I and even though you know the outcome of it, seriously, go back and watch this game because it is worth the couple hours. And you're right, Austin Shanks was was sniping corners, and Cody Jameson. You thought, oh man, he he won. And then you look at the shot clock, and and that goal is called back because of a shot clock violation coming after a second. So. And then the McIntosh goal, and, and, and probably just a serve that Saskatchewan comes out on the right side of things because you look back at it, and, and I think the wrong call was made there on, on the McIntosh goal being the first to touch or first to accept a oh, pass yeah. when Withers touched the ball. But regardless of that, they get the victory, they get 16, they win in overtime, they win on the road. Now 4-0 on the road, and, and you know they stretch their lead out in the Western Division. But then you look at the schedule and you go, oh man. They got Philadelphia coming up next, and, and Philly coming off a, a two-straight road win weekend where they had to, to win both games on the road. This team is, is playing the best that they've ever played. Zach Higgins is on fire, and you thought maybe, okay, like you get that big win in Halifax, and now you got a real stiff test going back across the country into Philadelphia. But one thing that, that I don't think a lot of people took into consideration is that the fact – Ben McIntosh now living in Philly, but he and Robert Church attended Drexel University, which is in Pennsylvania, and I think those two in particular were real happy to kind of be back in the city of brotherly love, and and Benny looked more aggressive than I've seen him all season long. And another impressive performance here on offense is the rush put up 15 Philly gets it within what it was it two. I think at one point like yeah. 12 10 or 11, nine or something like that. Kirk had a bit of a spell where he he let his game slide a bit, but then he regained his form and and really kind of steered this one home for the rush again. And they win this one pretty convincingly 1510 and I think. This game here, more than any, was, was really a full 60-minute performance, and everybody was yanking on the rope together here. They got production out of their goaltender, their transition, their offense. I think this game was coached very well. Um, everything was kind of clicking in this one, and that's what it took. That's what, what it was going to take to beat Philly on their home floor. This
0: That game might be you know the signature game moving forward because I think, You're right. The rush, I think, with the win over Philadelphia really reinforced to the rest of the league that they are one of, if not the team, to beat still this season with the complete performance that they put together in a hostile territory against a very good team who won two different ways the weekend before. They had a a very low-scoring game, and then they hung 14 the next night. So showing that they can do it in different ways A lot of factors on the wing side, and yet the rush really, I won't say wire to wire, because they did trail a couple times early in the game, but for the last three quarters really controlled the game throughout the entire, you know, scenario. And you talk about pretty goals. I don't know if I've seen a better first career goal than Austin Murphy. Oh, I wanted to bring that
1: game. up. I, oh, unbelievable! My, my, I
0: don't think that is getting nearly enough play this week because it just kind of happened in the midst of the game, and it didn't really get <laughs> talked up too much during the actual game. Well, but I don't think those talk guys about the, the ability to really uh, put your mark on things. That is a that is a not a that is a very confident way to score a goal. It's not something that you see someone try that early in their career that often, but Austin Murphy showing something. He showed some jam in the game too. There's a couple guys that weren't in. Matthew Dinsdale sat. Jeff Cornwall wasn't available for this game. So we saw a couple other guys get in. And Austin Murphy, that was the second time he's been in this season. He had a close call earlier in the year. I think you're going to see a lot more of him as the season goes on. I know it's not the main storyline coming out of this win, but I think you know we're talking rush. We're deep diving here. I think that is one thing coming out of that game in Philadelphia that I was really sort of singling out well, I'm glad. Um, wasn't just the goal. It was the way that he played throughout the game, setting picks, going hard to the hole. Uh, he set a double pick on one of Ben McIntosh's goals. That was really nicely done. So that was something I found really fascinating to watch in, in the sort of the microcosm inside the larger game. Uh, ben McIntosh, you mentioned it. I mean, he had two back-to-back goals that were like, was it like one was recorded and then replayed? Like <laughs> they were almost identical. Yeah. He is really the last couple games now found his shot. I mean, he's been good for about four games now for the last couple. He has really started to hone in. He is picking that corner. He loves that corner mm-hmm. and he has found th- he has found his sights. Now it is dangerous for the rest of, of the league, he's on track now, looking like he's going to have another forty goal a year. Yeah,
1: three and three for Benny Mack, and uh, two and three. I thought Ryan Keenan was real good in that game as well. Yeah. Shatler showing up with three and two, Matthews with just one goal again, but oh, he, he had eight assists in that game as well. <laughs> so, but you're right. Like, I, I'm glad that that you noticed that as well because I, that was something that really kind of jumped off the page for me. Not not the goal was was exceptional, no question about that, but just. When I I see a new player like like Murphy kind of get into the lineup, those are the kind of guys I like to keep a closer eye on just to see what kind of impact they have on the game. And I thought – like I noticed Austin Murphy all game long, no matter whether he was shooting the ball or or setting picks or going into the corner to pick up a loose ball or whatever the case is, I noticed him all game long. And I – I'm not taking anything away from Marty Dinsdale because I think he's an established veteran in this league. And, heck, he, he scored a, a, an overtime winning goal to, to get a cup for the rush. So, I don't know if he's he's coming out of the lineup anytime soon. But I think Austin Murphy is definitely going to be pushing to, to get that fourth righty spot. And, and maybe they go back to it. Like, I don't – maybe it's maybe somebody comes off the left side to get Murphy in there a little bit more because I, I really think he's on the cusp of uh, becoming a regular in this lineup here, and, and I like, I, I he was noticeable, and that's, when you get your opportunity as a rookie like that, that's all you want. Just be noticed. Get noticed. Yeah,
0: you don't want to be completely invisible and have the coach thinking, well, I could have used that roster spot on anyone tonight, right? And you don't like, want to force
1: it either, right? You don't want to sit there and no. try and do something that's out of your wheelhouse, but he just, like, he played with confidence, and he took what was available to him, and, and he made the right plays.
0: And I don't want to get ahead of anything because again, it's his first goal. He's only played a couple of games, but talk about another Derek Keenan draft score, right? Fourth like round, forty-first overall, forty-first overall pick, and he's in 2017. And and Derek Keenan has said all along, he's a guy that he he believes in. He just has to get his opportunity. And credit to Murphy, he's hung around, he's waited, and now he's getting a bit of that opportunity. And we saw him do a lot with it on uh, uh, last weekend against Philly.
1: Absolutely. So Saskatchewan now five and zero on the road, six and two overall, and sitting pretty atop the Western Division standings. Uh, with Toronto coming in to SaskTel in their crosshairs at the uh, the end of the month here, coming up this weekend. This is going to be a good game as well. We're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later in the fourth quarter. It's Lax Day in Saskatchewan as well, always one of my favorites. But now I think that's a, that's a pretty solid recap of what's happened so far here in the month of February, Flats. Uh, what do you think? We want to take a break and then uh, get the head coach on the phone? Let's get the big kahuna on, yeah. The big. I'm going to tell him you, you called him that, just so you know. The <laughs> big kahuna is coming up next. Derek Keenan, the head coach of the Saskatchewan Rush. Right here on the Rush Hour Podcast, presented by Merlin Ford-Lincoln. Back after this.
2: Hey, Rush Nation. This is Travis Formal from the Saskatchewan Rush. You're listening to the Rush Hour Podcast, presented by Merlin Ford-Lincoln. Your premier choice
1: Ford-Lincoln dealer in Saskatoon. Welcome back to the Rush Hour podcast presented by Merlin Ford Lincoln, your premier choice for Fords and Lincolns in Saskatoon. Uh, we got the head coach on the line here, and apparently uh, his his young boy, Ryan Keenan. Look, look hard. This might be a beautiful segue right here, coach. Uh, Merlin Ford Lincoln there in Saskatoon. I hear Ryan's having a little car trouble. It might be in the market for a new vehicle. Uh, we, we We might have a marriage here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thanks
3: for having me on. I sure hope he is because I'm tired of uh, lowering in my truck. So,
1: well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I know a guy. We can set you up with a good yeah. deal at Merlin Fordland. Excellent. Okay, uh, how you doing, man? Uh, welcome back from well. from Philadelphia, and uh, you got to be feeling pretty good about your team right now. It's starting to roll five and zero on the road, and a. I guess we got to go back to maybe we'll start in Colorado here. We we kind of recapped the three games, but just your your synopsis over the last three or four games here for your yeah. squad and, and the direction that you see this team heading.
3: Yeah, I think you know I, I didn't. I going into a double bye week, I certainly didn't like that scenario, especially after how we played on that. You know, going into that, but it was probably the best thing for us because I think our guys had an opportunity to reflect a little bit, go back and watch a lot of film clips that we sent out, you know, specific things um, in terms of, you know, structure, but most importantly, how uh, I think our guys realized that we just simply weren't playing hard enough. And, uh, um, and you could see it. It was, it was, it was black and white, you know, that we were getting, outworked they're hustled by teams and that's you know quite often it's a it's a fairly generic statement and for a coach to say that you know what we got to work through the team but it was really obvious and it was easy to point out from a coaching perspective certain <clears throat> and specific areas and um, and I think in particular our offense you know we were we were doing a lot of kind of jogging on the floor and not not running hard through the middle and not battling for space, and now I think we've really gotten back to that, and the results have uh, have shown that. Derek, you,
0: you mentioned it—the work thing. When you have a team with so many guys who have been through it before, and obviously you you have, you know, started incorporating and bringing in some fresh blood and young guys, but you have such a strong core of veterans. How much do you have to say? You mentioned you show, you send out some video and that sort of thing. How much do you have to get after them, and how much is it self-driven from you know your veteran leadership group when you're in a situation like that and you need to rediscover your work ethic?
3: I, I don't have to get after them very much at all. I mean, it was we had a leadership call uh, right at the beginning of that double buy. Um, we talked about some specific things and um you know they they voiced some things as well to us as a coaching staff and um but not a lot like uh you know when you got guys like Corbeil and dilks and you know benny mcintosh and and mark matthews and kyle river stepping up and and saying the right things and also self-reflection like saying that you know they they each as an individual had to be better um and, and there just wasn't a whole lot to be said and i thought we have really strong practice sessions on our second weekend off and we were able to go really hard and, and, and kind of get back to that work ethic part because um, we didn't have to play that weekend. So that was important. And then, you know, we came in the next weekend, even though, you know, we only scored nine against Colorado. I thought we played really well. I thought we did all the things we talked about. I thought we won a lot of the battles for space um we worked extremely hard getting on and off the floor you know and we had a lot of good opportunities and now it's kind of built from there and um we've had some we've had some good games on offense and overall
1: have you ever been a part of a 16-15 overtime two goals called back in ot roller coaster ride like you you yeah. were on and out like i'm watching this thing sitting here in british columbia derek and and my like my yeah. heart was palpitating. I was like I could barely even watch. I like I don't how how was it for you on the bench watching that thing go down?
3: Well, I don't know if I ever have. I I, I probably have, but I can't remember when, you know, that maybe when I was a player in Buffalo, we used to have some wild games in the early nineties that were into the low twenties both ways. But um so it's so back then a nine goal lead was nothing, but typically now you don't see it. Although in our league it certainly is. It's doable because there's so much skill and talent and um, you get a couple calls that you don't like and, you know, you get maybe a couple plays that weren't good and, you know, give up some transition goals, which we did. And, you know, they're, they're real good in the power play that night. They got a good face off guys. So they're going to get some extra possessions and next thing you know, you know what you're going to overtime <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had, we had some chances to put that game away though. And, we just didn't so but you know what we we were able to and we talked a lot about this too is you know we we've had a tendency earlier this year to kind of things bad happen and we kind of go uh gee uh, that's bad and you know what you have to have that what's next attitude and I think we really had that in that game because when it came to overtime we just said hey we got we got a chance to win this with one shot. We actually technically did win it on the Benny McIntosh goal. Right, yeah, <laughs> but, we discussed. Uh, yes. But, uh, uh, and then, you know what? We persevered. And then it went on for a while for another four or five minutes. So, and uh, great play by two of our top guys in Corbeil. And, you know, great pass and a great catch because it was a bullet. And then a nice finish by Mess to get it done. And then you just kind of breathe and go, hey, we kind of got away with one there and let's move on. Yeah. <laughs>
0: The, there, we were saying earlier that, I mean, there were so many different moments in that game that, you know, I don't get too focused on what, the one game, but uh, I thought it was kind of neat seeing Pete Dubensky get in there. You guys chase Hill and who walks out but Pete Dubensky. What was that yeah. like for you see a guy who was kind of a loyal soldier for you for a long yeah. time to finally get in and it's against you and he almost got his first win in a, what would have been a really crazy fashion?
3: Yeah, you know what it was, and uh, it was good to see Pete in there, and, and you know, he's, he's a great kid and uh, worked really hard for us when we had him, and good for him to get an opportunity out there. Um, at the same time, though, you certainly don't want to take your foot off the gas, and he made some real big saves for them, though, and made it difficult for us, but we were fortunate to get out of there with the win, but again, feel good for Pete, you know, real good real good guy, and uh, was a real loyal uh, guy with our team for a couple of years.
1: Speaking with the head coach and GM of the Saskatchewan Rush, Derek Keenan, and and you you talk about good guys and young kids, and, and you got a couple of them in your lineup uh, this year, Derek, and, and no Jeff Cornwall, no Marty Dinsdale in, in that game in Philadelphia, so Austin Murphy steps in, and, and it's his second game of the year, and this is a guy that's been kind of hanging around for a couple of years, waiting for his opportunity, and he gets his first National Lacrosse League goal, and and it was a special one, like it was a gem. Yeah. Um, but you know, Ryan and I were talking, like regardless of the goal, I I kind of had a pretty close eye on Austin, and and I I noticed him a lot in that game, doing a lot of good things, and and he did not. Looked like the moment was too big for him. He looked confident. He was looking to get a shot off. He was he was doing the right things on offense. Uh, and then you know Jordy Jones gets back in the lineup. J. Rob uh, playing well, of course. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, the, these guys that are getting amalgamated into the lineup are, are, are serving you well.
3: It's nice. To, it's good to have it because you know like we've talked about. We got the great veteran leadership and that. But you do need you need, need a little more than that. And you need to bring some guys through younger players to to eventually replace those guys and i think we have a good core group there young guys and and kind of middle guys too like messenger and you know hasik and ryan keenan that are like 25 and and in that middle range and they've been around for four years so but the young guys i think have been really good you know murphy's just he's just a great story and and a really hard-working kid and you know drafted i think two years ago we didn't even bring him back last year um asked him to get bigger and stronger. He worked on that, you know, had a nice summer, watched him play a fair bit, got him out to camp, earned a spot. And I thought he played really well in San Diego too, his only other game. Yeah. And like, you're right. Like the other night in Philly, you know, yeah, he got a beautiful goal. He played with great confidence. I, I love that, that a kid's not afraid to shoot the ball and, you know, with good looks and good opportunities. And eventually they'll start falling for you. But I think he created three or four other goals on his own. Mm-hmm. by by creating space for other guys and that's a big part of our offense and you know uh, he's a gritty kid and uh you know really happy for him and got his first goal and it was a beauty too so um and again like complete you know a lot like he doesn't lack confidence and that's good you don't want a kid to come in and play like that and the other guys you know garland's been really good for us from day one and robinson's starting to improve every week and and jory jones smith's one of those kids you just know that You need a body in there on defense. He's going to do a really good job defensively and work hard and, um, you know, pay the price. And he did. I thought he was actually really good in in Philly, too. So I think the Philly game, you know, we we were obviously quite good on offense. We scored 12 even strength, five on five goals, which is a real credit to how hard our guys are working now. But I thought we did a really good job on their top scores defensively. And that was a big part of the win, too.
0: When you talk about a guy like Austin Murphy, who's like a you know forty-first overall pick, and you know uh, he's coming along, he's taking some time, I'm curious about like your 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 philosophy from a from a GM standpoint when you're drafting, when you're scouting guys that might not be, you know, the top of the the, the, the prospect pool that year. Uh, what sort of things are you looking at beyond you know their just their raw talent or ability? What is it that you see in a player that makes you think you know this guy could potentially one day be a piece of the puzzle
3: yeah well I I like to try and get an opportunity to talk to some of these guys before we draft them and see kind of where their heads are what uh, what they think about the league and of course I did have an opportunity to watch Austin play a fair bit in junior and then I I coached him a little bit in the summer as well so I got to know him as as a person and that's important to me um that they have strong character, have a real work ethic. He's he's a real gritty kid too. Like he he's not afraid. Um, I saw that in the summer. He's not a big guy, but he plays big, and um, you look for that. And he's, and he's got skills. You know, his downfall probably when we drafted him was he just wasn't quite strong enough, and he's worked at that. He's he's quick, he's fast. You know, he he uh, and and he's, and he's he's a complete sponge on the learning level. You know, he right from the first day of training camp, tons of questions to to me, to Jeff McComb, to other players, to veteran guys, and the veteran guys appreciate that too because they know they've got a guy who they can trust because he's learning every day.
1: He wants to so learn.
3: That's that's a that's an important part of it, and uh, you know, it's it's good to see a, a young guy mm-hmm. like that do well and, and get in there, and uh, and you know, like you're on know, 41st overall, and then the year before wasn't even in the league. And we give him give him a chance to come back and he earned a spot and uh and uh it's nice to have that depth too. Like when you talk about Murphy and you talk about Dory Jones Smith and a Ryan McClain and a Justin Robinson, you know, we didn't quite have that depth last year. Yeah. Um, you know, we were relying on younger guys, less experienced guys to play every week and and now uh we're in a better position that way, I think.
1: Well you you know, you, you put Jeff Cornwall and Ryan Dilks back in into your lineup, Derek. Suddenly uh, the depth looks <laughs> Yeah, I mean, exactly. I can't now, even now say you're, the straight face. Like now,
3: you're nine, now you're 9, 10, 11 guys on your D are your 9, 10, 11 guys. Now yeah. you're 6, 7, No, eight guys, I get what you're you know? saying.
1: So, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like
3: it, it's, uh, and if you look at our numbers, it's pretty reflective. And now we're in a really good position on I think Cornwall is good for the rest of the season now. Yeah. And uh he's probably not gonna miss any more games. So um, you know, and and same with Marty Dinsdale. where uh, word is that um Mrs. Dinsdale, I think she's in labor and oh. maybe if things happen soon enough he'll be around this weekend. Okay. So, okay. But if, <laughs> but, if, but if not, then you know what? We know we can rely on on Austin Murphy to get in and do a really good job. Yeah. he's he's the kind of kid too, you know, he'll he'll you know, even after the, he played really well last weekend, he wanted feedback, you know. He texted me yesterday, and the only thing I can do you know anything I can do? I'm like, well, no, not really. I yeah. think you were really good. Yeah. So uh, he's he's you know one of those guys that wants to learn and get better all the time.
0: Well, uh, maybe th- sending a t- so I was gonna say maybe sending a Tabasco sauce delivery to the Denzel house, maybe just to make yeah. Really-
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, castor oil, I guess. Whatever. It
1: is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> castor oil. Oh my goodness, my grandma used to give me that stuff. Uh, yeah. Head coach Derek Kim. Breaking news here on the Rush Hour podcast. Uh, Ryan needs a new truck, and and Marty's about to have a baby. So, uh, so yeah. there, you go. Yeah. Uh, there you go. I, I want to ask you, and I just want to kind of take it back to the draft and, and to what Flats asked you. And, and like, I, everybody kind of knows, okay, first round, second round pick. Like, you you know what those guys are. But when you get into the third, fourth, and fifth round pick, are you – are you trying to pick a guy that you know or think that might be able to step into your lineup right away, or are you picking that guy to kind of project what he's going to be in two to three years? And if you are picking to project, what kind of things do you notice about that kid now that you think is going to translate to the future?
3: It's tough for, for a team like, like us, who obviously, I, mean, I think we've been we've fairly well-established, team in terms of our our veterans and even though we bring in a guy or two every year like you get that late you're really kind of looking for guys to develop through the practice roster. And then and then hope. The problem with that is too though that you can only you can protect one practice player guy yeah. um each year, which we didn't even do last year. So you can protect a guy and bring him back other than you could lose him in an expansion drop. But you know he, he but the other guys are free agents. So there's always that you know and that's happened like a guy like johnny pearson you know he was with us two years ago we really liked him and he got an opportunity to play every day last year in san diego and we figured he was going to be a good player and uh he turned in had a real good season for him until he got hurt so but you're looking for a guy to develop i think that later and then when you do get him in practice situations again like an austin murphy how much are they learning how much are they paying attention to what we want you to do better You know, if you're not quite strong enough, and you're not getting in the gym enough, and you don't understand that part of the process, do you want to learn that part of the process? And and what are you doing to learn that part? And uh, those are the things we look for. And then, and you know, of course, you know, it goes back to my old friend Kevin Alexander Mm. back in the '90s in Buffalo. He said to me, you know, there's no substitute for talent. So. (laughs) you gotta have talent he had a bunch of that dick kevy you gotta have some talent you gotta have some skill and you know that's that's part of it uh but uh the hard work part the the work ethic the wanting to get better and, and the real want and desire to play in the league like not not everybody has that other guys have other things going on in their lives and you have to really make that commitment and uh, it's a big commitment uh, and it's, it's, it's hard work on and off season. It's probably playing in the summer to get better. And, um, you know, and that can be risky at times too. So it's, a, it's a big commitment to, to make that
1: next step.
0: All right, Derek. Well, I, I think we could, I mean, we could talk to you all day. I love, we love picking your brain about this stuff, but I, I do want to get one more on, on you here. That is, Completely unrelated, and goes back because this is a Rush podcast, oh, and Rush fans this, are going to sure. be listening. And, uh, and and we, you know, I think a lot of people know that people call you Jammer, but I don't know if a lot of Rush fans know where that came from. So I was just wondering if you could maybe give us the uh, the the birth of the nickname, so that the fans can get a little probably
1: totally
3: not. <laughs> 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 ah. <laughs> The cold notes. <laughs> no, no, we'll,
1: we'll save that one maybe for... Okay, uh, you know. okay. Here's I'm, I'm asking you about that this weekend. Uh, All right, I'm, the tease. <laughs> it's the tease. I'm putting a note <laughs> in my phone uh, to, to get the answer out of you for that one. Hey, Cody Jameson.
3: Cody Jameson's the real jamison Yeah, he yeah. I, I, I find
1: course. that hard to believe. Uh, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't uh, wait... Uh, uh, i can't wait go. to find that out all right uh jammer appreciate you doing okay. this and uh i know you i know you got a, a dental appointment coming up which is never yeah a fun, i do yeah yeah, yeah. never a yeah, fun uh never a fun thing but uh hopefully no cavity creeps in there and we'll see you in saskatoon for a big date with the rock this weekend
3: you bet all right thanks fellas
1: thank you thank
3: you take care bye
1: Head coach and GM of the Saskatchewan Rush. Uh, we're gonna have to dig a little deeper there, Flats, and, and find out what that <laughs> jammer business is all about. I'm really intrigued now because I don't think yeah, I know yeah. the answer to that either. Well, there
0: we go. Now the mystery is uh, the
1: hunt is on. <laughs> mm, yes, indeed. That's uh, we we found out a whole bunch of stuff on the Rush Hour podcast uh, with with Derek Keenan right there. Good conversation. With the head coach, as always. Uh, now it's time to have another one. Somebody we've never really had a long conversation I'm really looking forward to this. It's Matthew Hossick on the other side here on the Rush Hour podcast. Presented by Merlin Ford Lincoln. Your premier choice for Ford and Lincolns in Saskatoon. We'll be back on the other side with number 94 in your Rush program. Matthew Hossick, right after this. <music>
0: Hey, Rush Nation, this is Holden Garland from the Saskatchewan Rush. You're listening to the Rush Hour Podcast, presented by Merlin Ford-Lincoln.
1: Your premier choice Ford-Lincoln dealer in Saskatoon. Welcome back to the Rush Hour Podcast, presented by Merlin Ford-Lincoln. Premier choice for Fords and Lincolns in Saskatoon. Good conversation there with the head coach, Derek Keenan, who... Is somebody that has been around our next guest playing career for a long, long time. Uh, first time we've had a chance to have a conversation here as well. It's Matthew Hossick on Rush Hour. Matt, thanks for doing this. Uh, welcome to Rush Hour. How, how's it going?
2: Uh, it's going good. Uh, just kicking back and uh, relaxing on the on the lunch break here.
1: Yeah, well, tell me, tell me about that because I, I, we were, we just kind of got on the phone here, and and I know, kind of lining you up for the interview, you had to to get a little clearance from the big boss that uh, you you could take some time for this conversation. Now you're telling me you're doing this on your lunch hour, which makes me feel a little bit guilty. But what does what does Matthew Hasek do away from the sport of lacrosse? What is your your career path?
2: Uh, <clears throat> I'm a uh... So during the week, I'm a, I'm a manufacturing engineer uh, for a company called White Corporation, and uh, we are in the metal metal recovery business. So we uh, design uh, systems and machines to recover metal for uh, for scrap companies, and they sell that back to. Uh, um, to company, uh, well, your ferris, they sell their ferrous and uh, non-ferrous products back to the different uh, producers of um, consumers of that stuff. So only anybody who's producing like metal plate and other metal products will be buying that refined metal that they've uh, they've gotten from the scrap all right that,
0: that is that is uh work yeah. that i don't even know where i wouldn't even know where to begin with that so I, i'm glad I, you're doing yeah, it I, and I, not me. I yeah i i was
1: just like oh my god like i like that that's a job that i've that i've never even considered or heard of that's crazy stuff and and for for people that don't know matthew you you went to rit and and i believe took an engineering degree at at the rochester institute of technology is that correct
2: Yep, yeah, you're, you're correct there. I took uh mechanical engineering um with uh like my an option or concentration with uh environmental studies involved there. So I'm kinda right in the the category of of, of business that I was aiming for in terms of being in a a, a recycling business, um as they people typically call it. So
1: mm-hmm
0: interesting so you can combine in the two basically that's that's a good way to do it uh how do you yeah. how do you end up there um you, can, you i know you, you know, grew up you, you have the farming background can you tell us a little bit about that and sort of how that
2: you know your path kind of got you to
0: to where you are now
2: uh i guess yeah, i've been uh growing up on a with a a hobby firm and having uh some some chores and responsibilities during the week um we uh I mean I, I enjoyed doing stuff on my hands and um in terms of engineering uh it was just it's engi- engineering involves a lot of problem solving and it's um, you know on the, on the farm and when you're when you're out in the field it you you end up with a lot of situations where you have to solve problems with very limited resources so you have some restrictions there and uh a lot goes the same for um engineering with customer restrictions and, and requirements that you're you have to fill um so i kind of a problem solving aspect of it is just something i kind of enjoy I, i've always had like a, a bit of a knack for puzzles and stuff like that so it's yeah, it came natural at first and then uh, just i went into it further
1: yeah i explained this that i find this quite fascinating as well that you and your family and your brother graham grew up on on a farm what kind of farm was it you you mentioned some daily chores that you guys had to do during the week what what sort of things was uh mr and mrs Hossick asking you and your brother graham to do during the week and what kind of farm did you guys grow up on uh
2: so our farm was uh mostly just uh like i said it's a it's a hobby farm so The the weekly stuff was typically um, anywhere from just collecting eggs and and watering the horses and and stuff like that, making sure they got food. Um, And same thing with, like, the dogs and stuff. So uh, we we grew up with a bunch of different animals, not necessarily anything um, making a living off of my mom. um, Always had horses, so... Gee, we've we've always had horses and then we got we ended up getting into chickens, turkeys. Uh at one point we had uh pheasants <laughs> wow. for a little bit and then uh we had uh we had a cow once. We had one cow. That was uh that was a long time ago. That was early on. Okay. Uh, and then uh we have we, we had a pig for a while there and then we had uh we had some ducks. Like
1: a little bit uh, of everything. We had a
2: pet goose. Yeah, we had a pet goose once. Uh he had a, he wasn't able to his, we called him Nemo. He he couldn't fly away. He had a, he had a bum wing, so we got left <laughs> he got as a as a as a gosling he, he got left behind, so we ended up taking him in kind yeah, of exactly. So we so a we lot little Canada.
1: bit
2: of everything. <laughs> yeah. A lot of different animals. I mean uh we we also worked on the, the horse farm down the road at uh and so that was uh that was like a weekend thing we do. We we have responsibility for morning chores on Saturday, Sunday, morning and afternoon chores there. So we we did that as well and then during the day we uh we'd be doing anything from fencing to uh uh to doing wood, wood for the the stove. So we'd be be able collecting firewood for the the winter season and then uh blowing the stove and, and lots of other random responsibilities. Well, as, I'll
1: tell you what. I'll tell you project, what Matthew as projects come up. I'll tell you what <laughs> you know, like I, I kinda coined you the tractor after after your kind of your body frame and the way you play the sport. Now that this is making all the much more sense that, that you guys literally grew <laughs> up on it like this, this is perfect now. Like I this is gonna stick for sure.
2: Yeah. My <laughs> yeah, my
0: just so you got so you're surrounded by animals so growing up here you got a lot of animals in the rush locker room with you too <laughs> trying to make yes trying to make a go. transition here uh, what's uh, you know you're now you had a few years under your belt here in the league what what is it like do you, do you first of all a do you feel like a vet now and secondarily who in that rush locker room has kind of was kind of your mentor when you started out and then how do you how do you kind of feel as a as a becoming into your own as a veteran
2: uh yeah i i don't know if i feel quite like a, a veteran yet i guess uh, still still being uh uh one of the one of the younger guys i guess but uh in terms of guys bringing me in it was uh and guys i looked up to a lot it was like Corville, uh, Cordillo, Dillks, um, and, and those guys on the, the defensive end were definitely uh, guys I watched closely in terms of and, and bounced ideas off of and talked to all the time, coming in and, and getting used to things in, uh, in the locker room
1: speaking with matt Hosick here and, and you come into league uh 2017 you, you only played six games in that that first year though matt but you put in five goals in six games i, I remember there was a time that you like you hadn't you you were a thousand percent shooting percentage like you you were five for five at one point in that is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, the, the goal scoring dropping off a little bit in, in 2018 and 19, three goals, but you got one so far this year. And kind of where I'm going with this, Matt, is that when I watch you play now from, from 2017 to 2020 now, the goal scoring, whatever, that's not really what you're there to do, but – Getting the ball out of your own end and, and playing solid defense is, is kind of your bread and butter. But you you have now seemingly, like when I when I watch the transition, you're the guy on the breakout. You're the guy that's taken the pass from, from Kirk and, and heading up floor where in your first couple of years, you were kind of the guy that was peeling off to the bench and letting somebody else carry that workload. Is that something that you've kind of taken upon yourself and, and like to do more of, getting that ball out of your own zone and, and, and deep into the offensive zone?
2: Yeah, I I think I've always been a, a guy to, who likes transition and having the ball the ball on my stick, uh, to be able to make plays and that's a role that's uh changed a little bit, um, like you said, over uh the course of my career. In in the beginning I didn't uh I uh i don't want to say shied away but it wasn't my role at the time i guess so i i took on other roles which was like you said peeling off to the bench and making sure you're getting guys on quick uh in transition and and the more the more i played the more uh comfortable i've gotten with uh the system and 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 the league in general i've uh i've kind of grown into that role of uh being the guy who's going to break out and uh, take the ball up the floor.
0: What is that transition? I mean, I think is unique to the cross in the sense of the way that a big transition goal just can completely swing a game or, or change the uh, energy in the building. What is that like to be sprinting up the floor, especially when, when you're playing at home more than anything and to put one in in a moment like that. We saw you get one on your birthday a few weeks ago. What is that feeling like for, for someone who hasn't been in it? What is, what does that feel like to, to score a goal like that?
2: Um, I guess it's, it's tough to describe, but usually after you spread up the floor, you're, you're, you're tired, I guess. And, uh, but like when, when you, you put all that effort in and you come off after having, uh, a productive shift like that, and where it results in a goal, I I guess I you, you use the word energized, and honestly, when I come off off after something like that, I feel like I have more more energy. Literally, you feel like you're right ready to go right back out there. Um But it's in in that role, in that in that timing and stuff, it's uh, it can go either way a lot of times, and and that's the double-edged sword of uh transition. And, but that's also like the part I enjoy about being able to do that is uh, to be able to make the right decision at the right time, and you got a lot of uh, control on how the momentum of the game is going. And if you, like we say, we talk about reverse transition all the time. If if it's if it's a situation that's not in our favor, we're we're going we're going to play the odds and just get it to the offense and and keep it going um, so they can get their touches in, and and the momentum doesn't swing against us.
1: Well, I was gonna say, Matt. Uh, did did Matthews give you the gears for for looking him off on that that, <laughs> that one <two-one-one>? Like, <laughs> I I mean, uh, he, he was pretty open, but there was no way you were passing that ball on your birthday.
2: Yeah, it's, it's tough in that situation just because um, the defenders they call it the, typically call it a marquee player rule. Is um, they're, they're going to shy towards uh, the, sure. Offensive player a little bit more, which makes and and Matthews from from the camera looks he looks open, but it's it's still a harder pass for me to make at the time, in in my head anyways because he's sitting right in my my passing lane and the, the risk of me not even getting it to him is a greater risk than me missing the shot at that at that time. Yeah, I felt no. good about where I was.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but no,
2: no he. You know, guys
1: me a little, years, <laughs> hey, you put a it joshing around. You, you know. put it in the <laughs> net. That's all that matters. Um, I I want to ask you about your girlfriend here, Matthew and and, and Jesse. I want to is this D'Angelo? Am I saying that correctly?
2: Yeah, D'Angelo.
1: Yeah, and she like I, I I see her on Twitter, and she literally anything to do with you. She's she's retweeting. She's favoriting. She's like all of it and and she seems to be your your number one fan i want i want you to give her a mention and, and what she means to you and, and your lacrosse career and, and your life as well
2: well uh just uh to, to correct you there jumbo uh, fiance now fiance, fiance, fiance. Uh, yes yeah. my apologies my <laughs> if ap- I, I knew that if I, don't, if, I, uh, if I don't mention that i'm definitely
1: gonna get yeah you only get to say but. fiance <laughs> for a certain amount of time right so you got to get that in there my um, my apologies to you and to jesse
2: yeah uh no that's good uh we uh yeah she's uh she's she's amazing i mean i i have uh i've shared my my passion for the game and and stuff and with lacrosse and she's an extremely competitive person she's she's picked up that that passion and she's very passionate about me and i i mean uh she encourages me all the time about uh shooting the ball and <laughs> trying to take take my shots all the time because she loves to see me score and stuff. But uh, so it's I mean it's amazing that to have her have that support and and know she's always uh, she's uh, sometimes more into it probably than me. <laughs>
1: <I> <laughs> is, there, uh, is there is there have the, you guys set a date? Is there a date uh, when when the the nuptials will take place?
2: Yeah, our uh, our unofficial date is. Uh, it's going to, uh, we're thinking September 25th of 2021. Okay. But we're still kind of playing around with a couple of the weekends there. We haven't figured out any uh, venues yet, and it may depend a little bit on that. All but right. Well,
1: uh, Ryan will, well, Ryan and I will. Ryan and I will keep checking our, our emails for the Evite to, to come through for <laughs> yeah, the for yeah. the Hosek D'Angelo wedding. Uh, one more here for you <laughs> before <laughs> before we let you go here, Matthew, and, and get back to your lunch. And, and I just want to talk about your brother a little bit, and and, and you guys kind of coming up together, and, and you just had that wild game in Halifax where you played against each other. It, you guys won a Minto cup together tell me about growing up with your brother Graham because I mean he's now a two-time defender of the year in this league and, and obviously somebody I would think that you really looked up to growing up and, and wanted to kind of be like which has probably helped your game and to get as good as you've gotten as well kind of striving to to be like Graham am I off base on that
2: no no I think you're uh you're pretty much bang on we uh me and Graham are very similar, but at the same time different um, <laughs> I mean growing up i I think I played a more uh, more of a role in transition than he did growing up and mm-hmm. I feel like he was uh, uh looked over a lot in terms of in the minor system and stuff uh, through we were growing up and it wasn't until second or third year of junior that we really started getting. That he really started getting recognized for what he was able to do on defense, and and that was parts of the game that I started basing basing my game off of, or trying trying to replicate it a little bit and learn from what he does so well on defense and apply that to my game. And I think it's really helped me, uh, like you said, on the defensive end. And you don't get to the transition
1: without playing uh, solid defense first, so no question about it man um and and now like he's starting to score you're you're getting a few goals like i, I we were talking about this the other day on on deciphering d guys from tranny guys and now i kind of feel like the best guys are both you know what i'm saying on that Flats? like it, to be yeah, one I, of the top I, I, guys yeah, you got to be both it's it depends on how you define it i guess yeah yeah true uh, enough true like enough i'm not
2: i'm not really I'm not really a guy who stays and and plays a full o shift unless i'm, I'm st- we get the ball up there and yeah but i'm I do not a few think, seconds
1: left on the clock yeah but i don't I don't necessarily classify that as being a transition guy just because you stay up and play offense I think there's a lot more mm-hmm. that goes kind of into that that category in that conversation, which is probably a conversation. For another time. I'll let you get back to your lunch hour, man. I look forward to seeing you in Saskatoon uh, and, and the tractor out on the turf uh, for the game against the Toronto Rock coming up this weekend, man. Thanks for doing this.
2: Appreciate it, guys. No problem.
1: That was... Congrats on the engagement. Yeah, yeah. Congr- <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that was Matthew Hasek, number 94, of your Saskatchewan Rush. And uh, like I said, Flats, not a conversation that we've had before with Matthew and, and trying to kind of drag him out of his shell a little bit, but that was good stuff there from the tractor.
0: Great stuff. Fantastic. Love hearing about the guys off the floor, what mm-hmm. they do or how they got to where they are. That's something I've always been interested in in sports is just people's pathways and how they get to where they are now. So great, great to get a little more insight into the man. In the uniform that we see on the floor every weekend.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully the listeners feel the same way. we got one more segment to come up here on the Rush Hour podcast. We'll preview that Toronto game and uh, take a quick look into March as well and what is on the horizon here for the Saskatchewan Rush. We'll be right back right after this.
0: Hey, Rocky Nation. This is Connor Robinson from Saskatchewan Rush. You're listening to the Rush Hour podcast presented by Merlin
1: Ford Lincoln, your premier choice for Ford and Lincoln dealer in Saskatoon. Welcome back to Rush Hour presented by Merlin Ford Lincoln. You know by now they are your premier choice for Fords and Lincolns in Saskatoon. Uh, I feel like I should almost get commission if, if Jammer goes and buys the truck from them. For some reason, oh, is that is absolutely. that offside? Yeah, finder see. Yeah. I, yeah, that's how it works, right? In the car business, you you recommend the sale, and you should get the commission. I think that's how it works. I think I think so. All right. uh right, yeah. I'll be in touch, Merlin Ford Lincoln, unless you get in contact with me first, uh, fourth quarter here on the rush hours. We're into our final segment. No more breaks. Uh, good conversations there with Derek Keenan and and Matthew Hossick. A little insight into the lives of those two. Uh, we got a big game coming up this weekend against the Toronto Rock Flats. Uh, Toronto does not roll through Saskatoon very often, but uh, they're always a big draw no matter where they go, and I'm expecting a big crowd on hand here for lax Day in Saskatchewan on the 29th.
0: Yeah, lots of great reasons to come out to the barn, uh, not the least of which is that the rush are on a three-game winning streak and certainly look a lot better than they uh, did a couple about a month or so ago on home turf. So you know, fans are going to be excited to see if they can keep it rolling. And the Rock, you, you're right, they're they're you know a flagship franchise in this league. And I think especially for the fans who didn't really know a lot about the NLL when the Rush got to town, the Rock were the one team maybe them and the Roughnecks that yeah. the casual fan kind of knew about. So there's always been some intrigue there, and you know they have a pretty good pedigree and past as well. And they're playing some really good lacrosse this season. They're in a real tough division and, uh, you know, battling away there with Halifax and Buffalo. They're all set right bunched up at the top of that division. So, uh, you know, they, the rock are going to bring a a tough game into town. Uh, It is. I have memories of a game in Saskatoon. A few seasons ago, it was the second half of a home and home weekend. And the first game in Toronto got, Really testy, and then they had to fly uh, together. again, to say the least. And then they were on the same <laughs> flight yes. to Saskatoon uh, uh, for the rematch, this. which is only in the NLL, right? Yeah. So um, yeah. that was that's those are that's kind of what comes to mind when I think about the Rock coming to town. I think this is only their third time they've been to Saskatoon, and now in year five, might only be the second, but I'd have to double check that. Yeah. Uh, Ka- either more... way, another big battle against another. You know, it's it's like the gauntlet right now. That we looked at this schedule a month ago and thought, geez you know, if the rush can get through it uh, with a couple wins, maybe three, they'll be in good shape. And right now they've, they've rolled through it pretty well after beating two tough teams in Halifax and Philly, and of course, Colorado. So, if they could keep it rolling and get back to five hundred at home, that would be nice for them as well. Because they got that perfect road record now, they got to keep adding some wins at home.
1: Yeah, and for for Rush Nation for fans that haven't really seen Toronto for a while, I would you know I'll say Robbie Hellier uh, on pace for fifty goals, and they've kind of you know had mm-hmm. the marquee matchup. He and Matthews going to go head to head here. Uh, on offense, they got uh, Challen Rogers, their captain in a transition role, who is just so dynamic and, and plays all over the floor. He'll play defense, he'll play on the point, on the power play, and, and he'll stay for some shifts on offense as well. Very dangerous player. Brad Cree, I think, is is an underrated guy that that's just a horse on defense. And, and then Nick Rosen goal. So if you're looking for three or four guys to kind of keep your eye on for Toronto, those would probably be the guys that come to mind. The other thing that's going on at SaskTel – this Saturday night is, is operation smile. And you're encouraged to bring a toonie to the game to donate. And, and I know this is something that's, that's very passionate to the owner of the rush, Bruce urban and his wife, Cindy, and, and of course, son, Brandon operation smile. This is something they've been involved with for a while. So, uh, for every goal that the Rush score, they're going to donate 260 bucks to Operation Smile Canada. And Toronto's getting on board here as well. They're going to donate 100 bucks for every goal that they score. Uh, you can purchase the green balls on the concourse for the halftime ball toss, a chance to win amazing prizes. And uh, don't forget, bring that to me, donate it. There'll be volunteers all over the place to collect that change. And, and if you don't really know what Operation Smile is about, every three minutes, a child is born with a cleft lip and or a cleft palate annually. And that's an estimated 175,000 children worldwide. So without corrective surgery, nine out of 10 children born with these conditions could die. So you can see why. The Urban family and and the National Lacrosse League has kind of got behind this initiative here, and and I think it's great. So I hope Rush Nation bring a toonie, help donate, and and I hope both teams uh, fill up the net here on Saturday night and and the team in green fills it up a little bit more than the team in red, white, and blue, man. This is going to be a good night.
0: It will be, and, yeah, it's a great cause. And I love to see that the Rock are getting on board, too. Uh, another kind of – it feels like another unique thing to the NLL. There's another game uh, in Buffalo this weekend, Halifax and Buffalo, and there's some charitable causes. Yeah, and both I, teams are involved in that as well. I think it's really cool in this league that you see the opponents, the visiting team, taking part in these initiatives uh, as well. Uh, I mean, even the game in Halifax, the rush play, that was uh, – salute to the military. Yeah, shout and, out to uh, they, Brittany they also on wore those designs flats. in that game.
1: Yeah, Brittany, our, our graphic designer for the Rush. I, I don't have her her last name handy here, and that's probably a good thing. But I, I want to. I actually contacted uh, the team after that and said, like, I I, I want to get a pair of those shorts or something to to kind of commemorate yeah. because those things. Those both those uniforms are fantastic, but I wanted to give Brittany a little bit of kudos for her design of those Rush uniforms that they wore in Halifax. Those were those were exceptional.
0: Great community engagement uh, by everyone involved, and again, another great couple of initiatives going on uh, this weekend in Saskatoon. So uh, another just another reason to love the National Lacrosse
1: league. Yeah, and and I'm glad you brought up uh, the game going on in Buffalo between Halifax and the bandits it's Tucker out lymphoma night and if, for fans that don't know Sean Williams uh losing one of his one of his sons his young boy Tucker to uh lymphoma cancer and now the bandits have kind of taken it upon themselves to, to have a night and you can bid on those jerseys um as well so I fully encourage that because it's a huge night in Buffalo and, and one of the real good guys in the National Lacrosse League, Sean Williams, um, and and that family deserves everything that they can get as well. So big night on Saturday, big weekend in the National Lacrosse League in general. There's eight games on the schedule here, Flats. We're going to have our eyeballs all over the place on Saturday night, trying to keep up to date on the out-of-town scoreboard as well. And we'll be back in March for another episode as well, another jam-packed month of lacrosse here for Saskatchewan It's really gonna carry through the rest of the regular season here we gotta we're gonna have to find a time to come back I'm thinking maybe after the Georgia game. Uh, On the 20th, but the upcoming schedule here for Saskatchewan, they got the game on the 29th against the Rock. And then into March, we go back to back home games for the first time this season. They'll take on the Vancouver Warriors on the 7th. Then it's the big Rush Hulk road trip to Calgary Flats. I don't know if you're hopping on on the bus for that puppy or not, but that's always a good time. Into Calgary on the 13th. And then back home on the 20th to take on the Georgia Swarm. What a game that is going to be. And they'll round out the month with a game in Buffalo on the 28th. So, Rock, Warriors, Roughneck Swarm, Bandits. That five-game stretch there, I, what do you think is a reasonable expectation to come out of that, that five-game stretch?
0: Well, considering that three of the games are at home, uh, I think, you know, Three three and two is reasonable, but I think the rush can, can take four. The way they're playing right now, I think they have a good shot. This game against Toronto is going to show us a lot because uh-huh. now they're going to come home after two really big wins on the road and see if they can put it together. They were talking about the rhythm now that they're in because they don't have any more bye weeks. I think that is really key to see that game against Calgary in Calgary. That one I am really looking forward to because we haven't seen these two teams meet yet. Dean Dobie is back for Calgary. He served a suspension yeah. and they're going to meet three times down the stretch. And that could well determine who wins the West. I know there's a lot of lacrosse left, but the way things are shaking up, shaking down right now in the West division, it's that three games against Calgary. That could be the determining factor and I think that first one is going to be a tone setter. It's in Calgary, so they're going to have an uphill battle. But I think there's every reason to believe the way they're playing right now, they can
1: win four of those five games. But some very tough opponents are going to have a lot to say about that. Yeah, I, I, I might have to find a way to get to Calgary for that game, man. <laughs> Any time yeah. that the Russian Roughnecks are getting after it, man, I want to be there. And I want to see it in person because uh, it is is I think it's the best rivalry in the National Lacrosse League. And, and people may debate that one way or the other with, with Rochester and Buffalo or whoever. But, uh, man, anytime that the Roughnecks and Rush get after it, it, it is a dandy. Adobe looked okay in his, his return to the National Lacrosse League. Six goals overtime winner there in that 18 17. Yeah. Not too pretty good um <laughs> th- speaking of pretty good i think that was a pretty good episode of the rush hour podcast right there for the month of february flats uh, thanks for doing that again man that was that was a lot of fun always a pleasure can't
0: wait to uh chop it up some more and uh hopefully talk about a rush team on the verge of clinching a uh, playoff spot or a west division title
1: there you go uh that could be a name for a podcast right there chop it up with ryan flaherty you can use that if you want uh, in, in a future date. All right. When I get into uh, butchery, we'll, we'll call the podcast. Uh, Let's <laughs> it up. All right. Uh, big thanks to Matthew Hasek and Derek Keenan for coming on the program, spending a little time with us. To Merlin Ford, Lincoln, of course, for sponsoring the podcast. To you, Rush Nation, for listening to the podcast. We'll be back with another one. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for the release date for the month of march but for now we got to go we'll talk to you in saskatoon this saturday for a date against the toronto rock for ryan Flaherty to have jake killian for the fastest game on two feet and for the creator enjoy the games everybody